What up, y'all? On today's episode, we have Sebastian Kreindel. Uh, this is the final episode of the interviews I did vagabonding around the United States during the summer of 2018, visiting family and friends. Uh, Sebastian and I taught together at DC International School during the 17-18 school year. Sebastian was the head of the PE department. Technically, he was he was my boss. He interviewed me. He hired me, and I was under his auspices during the 17-18 school year. He's an awesome dude. Uh, the vast majority of, I guess, all of the interviews, uh, all of the episodes that have been posted thus far are are with family and friends that I've known for years, if not decades. Um, and like I said, I met Sebastian right before the 2017-2018 the school year started. And a year later, I felt like this guy was one of my best friends in the world. And I you know, wanted to get his perspectives on life uh, recorded and uploaded for, for the world to hear. Um, Sebastian's off teaching and living in China, China now. Um, I don't know. He's a ve- he's a very cool, amazing dude with some awesome perspective on life that you'll that you'll get to hear in this interview. So I hope you enjoy. Here's my boy Sebastian. Are right, you ready? Yeah. Sebastian Crindell. What's up, brother? Chilling like a villain. How you doing? I'm good, man. How you feeling? You're about to move to China. Feeling like. It's not all fitting in the space that it needs to fit, but it will. <laughs> How much stuff are you bringing? Too much stuff. Like bags-wise, like four ba- four suitcases, five suitcases. It's going to be. It was going to be two checked luggage, but now I think I'm going to have to do three checked luggage. Mm-hmm. But it is two years of my life, so mm-hmm. I might as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. How you feeling? Are you like? Are you excited? Are you nostalgic? Is there any sadness at all? You've how long? Well, first off, how long have you been in D.C.? I've been in D.C. full-time for five years. Okay. And I'm nostalgic a little bit. I think there's a lot of things I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss my house. I'm going to miss my friends. Um, I feel like I've seen a lot of people come and go, but I've kind of been here that whole time just as like a root. But now it's nice to you know let my little sapling <laughs> fly into the air and, and move on to wherever I go next. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. Cool, man. Have you ever been to China? you ever been to Asia, that part of the world? I went to Hong Kong for like three days. Okay, yeah, I remember you told me that. It was good. Yeah, man. Dude, it's an awesome move. I, I respect the hell of it. It's something I would do. It's something that like, um, I maybe wouldn't do it for teaching, but I would definitely move uh, across <laughs> a, you know the other side of the planet. Um, I admire it a lot. I think it's what everyone should do you know, at some point in their adult life. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into who you are. So can you just give us some background on who you are, where you were born, where you're from, where you grew up, that kind of shit? All right. And then just kind of lead us up generally to where you are now. Um, all right, so I was born in 1990 in Boston, and I grew up there, went to you know elementary school, middle school, high school, all in Newton. And um, then I decided, hey, I'm going to get the heck out of Massachusetts and I swung down to Virginia to do college at William and Mary. Mm-hmm. And I was there for four years of undergrad and one year for my master's. And then after that, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to DC." And I guess I've been here ever since. All right. And you said, st- "What did you study at William and Mary?" History. History. Yeah. And master's in history as well. No, master's in curriculum and instruction. Um, but it's really funny because I was going in there totally thinking I was going to do like pre-med i'd worked all these internships at the national institute of health at harvard at the children's hospital doing all of this like lab work and then i got to school and the only textbook that i enjoyed reading was my history textbook uh-huh. and then i was like well i might as well dude i kind of <laughs> had a similar thing i didn't know really what i was going to do get into school uh i thought maybe journalism because the only thing i i knew about was sports so I thought, oh, I guess I'll be like a sports writer. The only like plan I had as a kid was to be a professional athlete. <laughs> and then I had like real bad OCD that kind of like derailed any thinking of like planning ahead and was just kind of try to survive the day. And so I just kind of stuck to sports as a distraction. And once I got to college, I was like, oh, I guess sports is all I know. And then they made us read a book. Mountains Beyond Mountains before we went into college is all about this dude, Dr. Paul Farmer, who's like saving kids in Haiti and shit. So I was like, oh man, that sounds awesome. Like, I want to save people's lives. <laughs> and so I was like, I'll do pre med. And I took up one biology and one chemistry. And I was like, fuck this. <laughs> Just science never interested me. But as soon as the same thing, as soon as I started reading like history shit or any sort of like, um, like international affairs texts, 
economics, I got, I was like, ah, oh, this is at least what I'm interested in. So that's something I ended up going with. When you were a kid growing up in Newton, what did you like? What were your dreams of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, if you look at my fifth grade yearbook, um, it would say that I wanted to be a scientist. Okay. If you looked at the eighth grade yearbook. I like this. this is exact, I asked this question pretty much to everyone, and this is exactly what I want. Like, how does the dreams progress as you get older? Okay. Fifth grade scientist, eighth grade. It was a... Ninja. A virologist. I, I was oh, really you got a little into, more specific. I was really into reading about viruses. Um, I don't even know what a virologist is when you said that. Okay, so um, basically... There's really bad diseases that you've heard of Ebola, you've heard of smallpox, you know, these are like really dangerous viruses and I was really interested in like studying what makes them work the way they work and like how would we treat these types of outbreaks if they were to occur. Uh-huh. I think that also helped that my mom was an epidemiologist and kind of like pushed me in that direction. You in that direction. Yeah. And that's kind of how I started getting all my summer internships too. Was like, all right, well, I'm into this. This is lab work. I was reading a lot of books about it and a lot of the books had, you know, discussions of what's happening in the labs. And then I, I realized that it probably wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be after working in the labs, and I was like... When were you doing these internships? Like in high school? Yeah. Oh, damn. You were on point. I was doing internships in high school. I was working at like the local deli. Yeah, I was... So when I was 15, I was working at the Children's Hospital running um, research on mice brains. So it was immunohistochemistry. At 15? Yeah. You fucking Doogie Howser? What? Yeah, something like that. And so, um, sacrifice the mouse, remove the brain, slice it Sacrifice? Yeah, it's a sacrifice. The mouse is sacrifice. To the gods of science. Yeah. And then after that, I did a little bit of work at the National Institute of Health um, with um, cryopreservation. This is while you're still in high school? This is still in high school. This is the next year. I think this was when I was a sophomore in high school. Was there a National Institute of Health in Boston or something? No, I was down here in D.C. You came for an internship... Like, live away internship. I was living here in this house. Oh, that's my right. My mom was living here in D.C. already. And your, t- and your dad was living in Boston. Exactly. Okay, I got you. I got you. Jesus. So then that's I did crazy. some cryopreservation work. And then I did a little bit of work um, with, like, the head veterinarian of an animal facility. Um, and then I did, again, a little bit more research on um, mice and rat brains in uh, Harvard when I was in Boston. Fuck. And this is all in high school. This is all in high school. And so you had... It wasn't just like me. I happened to read one book about a doctor who saves people's lives. And I'm like, oh, I'll be a doctor. You had some, like, science background. Yeah. I also uh, really messed up my leg when I was younger, when I was uh, 13. So I, I broke it pretty bad. And uh, Tell that story because you have a gnarly scar still, right? Yeah, I got a outside, pretty nice yeah? scar. Yeah, maybe like 12 inches, something like that. Yeah. Um, I was playing soccer. I was 13. Um, we had a penalty kick, mm-hmm. and Allie Garfinkel took the kick. Fucking and Allie, man. He, he's a really great player. Oh, he's a and guy. he puts the ball in the... playing co-ed at 13. No, oh, no. I appreciate that. Um, he just... I, I went up to him right beforehand. It was a tie game, you know, maybe 1-1, one, 0-0. One, zero, zero. I say, Allie, just... I don't, don't even kick it fast. Just put it in the corner. This guy's not going to get there. And he somewhat listened to me, because in, he put it in the bottom corner, um, but he just, like, rifled it in there, just like a sniper. Just mm-hmm. And it hit the inside post. Like, it was clearly a goal. It went in. It went a yard into the goal, hit the back post, and then came out. And the referee, who was Steven Zeitler's brother, older brother, who apparently actually made a career out of becoming a professional referee, missed this call completely. And most of my team was celebrating, but I realized that he didn't make the call. So I was just still playing it. And the ball had, like, rebounded out. It was maybe, like, near the 18 and the side. And so I just started chasing it. And one of the uh, opponents was chasing it alongside me. And he was maybe going to beat me there by like a hair. So I jumped in the air, getting ready to just deflect this ball. He was trying to clear it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to jump in the air, deflect it with my leg back as like a cross. And while I was midair, I heard this pop. Oh, shit. And so I fell to the ground. And my that was exactly my thought was, you know. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I was yelling a lot, and then I kind of went... Mid-air, though? I heard the pop mid-air. There was no contact. It was just a... I had a... Well, it turns out... (laughs) Well, I was on the ground there. Um, 
and I was, you know, I thought, oh my god, did I like dislocate my knee? Did something yeah, what just was pop the out injury? of place? I was um, screaming, and then eventually, ambulance came. I had to take off my cleats, my socks, my shin pads, which hurt a lot. Um, and they got me to the hospital, and it turns out that inside of my femur had replaced most of the bone was a, a benign tumor. Oh, right. I remember so you told me this So the tumor made the bone so weak that just pretty much half, like, part of my bone just shattered. Oh, shit. And so they went in there, and they put in a metal plate and a bunch of screws and a bone graft, and they hoped really hard that it would grow back into being a, a real bone, and it did, which was really lucky. Um, so You're a real I, boy now. Yeah, well, I'm a real boy with uh, Inspector Gadget. Oh, you just still have metal in there? Yeah, it's got some metal. I had to take a little bit of it out just because it was interfering with uh, some of my physical activity, so I had maybe seven or eight screws. Um, I still got them upstairs. I held on to them. Um, but I had to get three of them out because they were coming out on the other side of the bone and digging into the... Uh, interior Shit. side of my leg muscle yeah but now you can dunk so it's sick yeah yeah i mean it's like one of those little kid basketball hoops but sometimes <laughs> i just throw them up there and just you know yeah. all right so served. we got we got sidetracked there a little bit so you had good science background so you're thinking going into william mary i'm gonna do science yeah 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 and so you get there and then you start taking like other classes like prereq classes and shit mm-hmm. and you're like nah history is so much cooler i just thought wow I can sit down and read this thing and not feel bored or, you know, trying to procrastinate as much as I can. I can just sit down and enjoy reading this and learning about it. I didn't enjoy the process of, like, memorizing mitosis and meiosis. Right. Memorizing that type of stuff just wasn't that exciting for me. Right. Memorizing history and stories was a lot more exciting. Dude, I totally feel like I was the exact same way, dude. When I would read my science text, I'd just be like, this is, I'm forcing this. Like, I'm having to, like, actively force my concentration. When I'd read yeah. International Affairs of Texas, soak that shit up. But I will admit, I did really enjoy learning about, like, geology and physical geography. Um, those things, definitely. Okay. It was a science that definitely got me excited to learn. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it seems like most people, you're, like, either a science dude or you're, I guess, a social science yeah, dude. Social Would you consider science. history, like, a social science? I consider science? history a social science. Okay, yeah, yeah. International affairs, I consider a social science, mm-hmm. too, and even, like, economics. Sociology, economics, psychology, yeah. um, history. It seems to me that most people are either, you know, hard science or social science. It's interesting. I interviewed Jordan yesterday. I think you met a couple times. And he did law school. Did not like being a lawyer, but like loved politics, interned with Obama and shit, and like really loved it. So he went to law school, and then he studied business and like economics in college. And then as soon as, after he went to law school, he enjoyed law school, but like hated being a lawyer. So then he took some like, you know, spirit quest journey and decided he wanted to go to med school. His dad's a doctor. And now he he loves science too. Like whenever I go over there, like... The dude will watch like YouTube videos on genetics for fun, and so he's like, I feel like a rare case. On oh, this dude's interested in both. His like, he's got like, yeah. I guess like his left and right brain operating at the same time. It's weird. Okay, um, but so how did history, studying history, morph into wanting to become a teacher? Where did that all come about? Um, I guess I thought a little bit about teaching when I was younger, just being in high school and just seeing what my teachers were like and kind of imagining myself in their shoes and how I would try to teach things or how I would do things differently. Um, And when I got to, um, I think it was junior year of high school, I had this really awesome teacher. His name was Mr. Kozik, and I still keep in contact with him. He's a really great guy, yeah. Um, And we did a really great uh, assignment on social justice movements. And... I guess I just felt really motivated by it, felt moved by it, felt compelled to be like a much more active citizen afterwards. Um, and then from there, when I was already deciding on history, one of the things that I decided to focus on was uh, social justice movements uh, in the United States. And actually, one of my thesis, uh, you know, arguments was basically doing an analysis of. 100 years of history at the College of William and Mary where they had just the newspaper had celebrated their centennial anniversary so what I did was I went through 100 years of history um, and tried to dissect exactly what the perspective of race and race relations were 
during those years. Okay. Um, and th- and then also I really liked studying Yugoslavia. But so I thought, what would be something cool <laughs> that I could do with those with with studying that was well, you know, teaching people um, what to do if they feel that they're not being you know supported or treating being treated fairly by you know a government or an oppressor right. or whatever it is right and what, so what's like the this... right way what's the right way to act in this type of situation so like your study of history not only was inspired by just the interest in what has happened in the past but also it seems like there's this like this like boiling moral sentiment to it where it's yeah. like you're trying to use history to improve the future exactly cool dude <laughs> but that teacher that you that kind of inspired you you said that was high school yep so you Although you were kind of science-centric in high school, did you have, like, this inkling in the back of your mind that maybe I'll become a teacher at some point? Was that, like... Not exactly. I think it was most of, mostly just, like, a social do-gooder. Right. Like, I wanted to do good to a society, whether it was through, and this like, education or whether it was through teaching or was, whether it's, you know, through designing a sustainable building or whatever it is. I wanted to, like, make it be something that would be positive and when you got to college were you thinking okay i want that's what i want to do like whether or not i'm studying science or studying history i want to use those skills that i gained to like have a positive impact on society yeah i think always my idea was to have a positive impact on society whether or not you were going to be a doctor yeah. and then you switch to history when you switch to history did you have like a specific career in mind yeah teacher almost teacher immediately. almost yeah. immediately okay i got you so you knew okay i'm gonna finish up my undergrad in history then I'm going to get my master's in education so I can become a teacher. That plan kind of started to formulate itself? That started formulating itself, yeah. Around, like, what, sophomore, junior year? Sophomore year, yeah. Sophomore year? And did you know, like... We didn't have to declare our majors until the end of our sophomore year. No, neither did we. So, I mean, there was a lot of time of figuring things out, or if I wanted to go back, I could go back. But I had, like, an idea, and I felt good about the direction of it. But, you know, I got a little bit of backlash from my mom who had been kind of raising me as a scientist, scientist right? <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, and it seemed like it was go- everything was going smoothly until <laughs> you got off to college. I know. <laughs> Damn, so uh, did you know you were going to have to get your master's? Did you know that was going to be part of the deal? I knew that at some point I'd have to get the master's, and William Mary had like a five-year plan. Um, so I started taking master's classes my senior year, and I did one summer there to take one or two classes. So it really ended up saving me a little bit of money instead of having to do like a two-year program or anything like that because did you ever consider just majoring straight in education was that an option the thing is most states require you to have a master's degree after a certain amount of years anyways so it's you know pay it now or pay it later type thing and i just and they had the five-year program and they had the five-year program so i could just go and get that done um and uh, you know at the end of my college experience I was mostly ready to go. I still wanted to have, you know, a little bit more fun. Um, and, I, you know, I think college experiences are just, like, just about the most fun that you can have. You live super close to so many of your friends, your responsibilities, like, your classes, maybe 15 hours a week and maybe another 20 hours a week of, you know, studying. But you just have so much free time. Um, and so at the by midpoint in... Um, grad school i was just ready to go and start working mm-hmm. i think but having that little bit of extra was yeah was nice too yeah i kind of yeah i used dude. to go i used to go on 20 mile runs i used to have enough time to just run 20 mile runs 20 mile runs have you ever done a marathon never done a marathon but you just go on 20 mile casual runs me and my friend terry uh we started um i would do you know maybe 13 miles and you're like oh i'm not tired and terry was a really good runner and so after that, we just had this route that was, you know, the Williamsburg half marathon route. And then at one point, you're supposed to turn back and go around. And we just kept on pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back until eventually we're doing 20, 21 miles. We come back to the house. I lived right across the street from the supermarket. So we buy all of the food and just go ham on cooking these delicious meals after, you know, running for three hours and depleting everything out of our body. Did you never think I, I could push it six more miles and I've done a marathon? Yeah, I, of course. Why don't you just do it? Because that wasn't a motivation for me. I never thought like, ooh, 26 miles. Like I got you. <laughs> yeah, it is a totally an arbitrary thing, right? About what is like, it like? Well, some it's like it's Greek... the distance between the city of Marathon and the city of Athens, right? Yeah, and basically the story is um, I don't remember the runner's name, but the Persians were attacking, and so they had to go give news 
that the attack yeah. was coming. I think this was, um, was it, you know, the movie Three Hundred. Yeah, kind of like based off of that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to go give the warning. Um, yeah, it's totally arbitrary. So actually, yeah, it makes yeah. more sense it, if for your personal goals. I guess it would be more like make more sense to do like multiples of ten. Like I've done twenty, now I got to do thirty. Then no, I got to do forty. No, then I got to do fifty. No, no. They got these ultra marathons now where people are running like 100, 200 miles straight. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. Yeah, they but they probably have like some type of condition where they get like a type of runner's high. Where yeah, apparently it's totally a mental thing. It's totally mental. Like after totally mental. apparently after like I think it's like thirty or fifty miles, like the performance between men and women totally just like diminishes. Yeah, and so it's just like whose mind is. Have stronger. you ever read Open by Andre Agassi? No, dude, okay. I've read like three books in my life. Okay, well, Andre Agassi is like a super incredible athlete and just a really interesting character as well, because when he talks about him playing tennis. You know, he's like, he broke me. Right. And so it's like, as soon as that mental aspect of like, oh, breaking, you know, he broke the set or he broke whatever, but it it just, it breaks that like little mental piece inside of you. Yeah. Where it's like, if you walk once, I think in a half marathon, you're going to walk more than once. Nobody just walks once. Right. So if you're going, so don't walk at all. Right. Just keep running. Right. If you're having pain and you're injured, please stop. Yeah. Go see a medical professional. But if you... You know, or just like stomach cramp or whatever it is, like don't stop. Yeah, dude. There's, I think there's a lot to be said for that in life in general, man. And that's something I'm like, I used to be a lot more hardcore in my early 20s, especially during college. I think there's like this inspiration to where like I'd come through a decade of like battling this OCD that like drove me almost to the point of suicide at some points in my adolescence. And then I kind of like broke through that and I was on this like fucking high for five years where it was like I'm grinding, I'm not stopping and that carried me through second half of college into my first year years of teaching down to doing some Central America do nonprofit work and then at some point over the last like five years it's kind of stopped man and I've gotten like not lazy in a sense but I don't know maybe it's just apathetic ap- apathetic in some ways definitely jaded in terms of nonprofit and education work um and so i'm trying to like rediscover that like determination that like fuck it man i don't give a shit i'm like identifying a goal and i'm achieving it and i'm not stopping the walk so i'm glad you brought that up man you're a great podcast guest you're doing great so far keep it up man Thanks. um yeah i'm trying to rediscover that man that like pushing past that breaking point until you, like, you get that second wind mm-hmm. um yeah Okay, so I want to rewind a little bit to go back to your childhood, and then we're going to get back into education in a second. So uh, tell me about your childhood. You mentioned before that your mom lived in D.C., your dad lived in Boston, so Mm -hmm. at some point they divorced. Tell us about your childhood. How was that? All right, so my family, I think my parents separated maybe when I, like, 96. I think they were divorced in 97. And so... um, I basically switch houses every week with my sister. One week at my dad's house, one week at my mom's house, one week at my dad's house. And you're all in Boston at this. And we were in Boston. We're actually, he lived in Newton and she lived in West Roxbury. Mm -hmm. And so switching off every week, um, which was fine. And I had, you know, my sister and I kind of did it together. Um, And the houses, even though they were two neighboring towns, were actually like super close. Got to continue going to the same schools as I'd been going the whole time because my dad still lived in my hometown. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at one point, my mom was doing, she'd gotten a master's in epidemiology from the School of Public Health at UMass. And from there, um, she ended up doing a bunch of research on rabies and Lyme disease and all these different really cool, mm-hmm. you know, Western, West Nile virus, Eastern Aquinas encephalitis, just a lot of tracking of these diseases. And eventually she kind of got into a program that like Harvard was doing with mad cow disease. And from there, um, when that program ended or, you know, the grant for that ended, she ended up taking a job for the, uh, Department of Agriculture, and part of that meant that she had to come to D.C. So I, I don't think it was an easy move for her. I think it was really tough. Um, it was, you know, but it was the right move. So mm-hmm. she came down here and she bought this house that we're living in right now, uh, hanging out in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'd come here and I'd spend my summers here. Okay. And then I'd hang out. She'd come up during you know every other weekend or as much as she could. What was that process like? Where deciding 
that you were going to stay with your dad full time? Was it like a school decision? Was it a family decision? How did that work? I think it was a school decision. I think I, you know, I was a maybe freshman, sophomore in high school. I didn't want to just move to DC and just, you know, leave behind all my friends Mm -hmm. and all that. So I think, you know, I've been at school with the same group of kids Mm -hmm. essentially since I was five, you know, when you blend with new schools, you get new kids, but that was kind of like my home base at the time. And so for me, it was important to kind of like finish it up there and then figure out where I'm going. Plus the public school system that I was in was like a great public school system. Coming to DC, I wasn't going to go to DC public schools. So where would I have gone? Well, I would have gone to a private school. How much would have that? How yeah, much that's that true. Cost? You know, another, is it worth another $20,000 yeah. a year to go to private yeah. school here? Probably not. Were you aware at all that there were issues in your parents' relationship when that all started breaking up? I know you were only like six or seven. Not really. No, I, you know. Did you, do you have a conception of like what divorce was and how did all that go down? Because mm-hmm. my parents got divorced when I was two. Yeah. Um, no, Actually, I mean, never it, married. It, honestly, Mom. it feels like feels like, I mean, I remember them being together, but it feels like most of the time um, of what I can, like, remember is, like, them actually not being together, and it was just, like, such a normalized thing right. for that to be the case. And it wasn't really, you know, an issue. It was, oh, okay, it's Monday, so on Monday I switch houses and I go to mom's house. Or on next Monday, okay, going back to dad's house. Mm-hmm. You always have to wear the same clothes that you wore the Monday before, mm-hmm. so that... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every you time a- you got a birthday, you got two birthdays. Every time, <laughs> two Christmases and shit. Every time you lost a tooth, you got yeah, two, two, tooth two tooth fairies. Yeah, you got you got some good things from that. But you know. So was it a good like? Was it when you look back in your childhood? Was it like harmonious that situation? Because I know for a lot of kids that can be tough having the you know joint custody, bouncing back and forth between houses. How do you look back on your childhood? I think that there's like. There was obviously, like, a rift in the relationship between my mom and my dad, Mm -hmm. which um, at times was, like, more chill and at times was less chill. Right. Um, It could... Sometimes you could feel like you were in the middle of a situation. Right. Which could be kind of painful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I guess you don't really get to pick the situation that you, like, put in. It's just something that happens. And it's happening because... Both people are unhappy with where they were or the relationship mm-hmm. that they had. And so that, you know, when you look back on it, I guess, like, how I'm doing now is, like, well, I hope that they both were able to find, like, the happiness or whatever it was that they were looking for once they got out of that right. relationship. Yeah. Did you... What was their relationship like, like, post-divorce and then up until now? Like, has it changed at all? Um, I, I don't think that they speak regularly by any means um i think that they would talk and see each other when you know y'all my were sister and i were in school or they you know my sister's wedding was the last time they probably saw each other uh-huh. and even then they like disagree with how things are going to be so it was like oh well i'm gonna one of them will say well i'm gonna pay for my guests and the other one's like okay well i'll pay for my guests you uh, know? I got so you. It's just like right you know they're not trying to split costs yeah like whatever they're like hey i'm gonna pay for right how was your relationship with each of them growing up it was great i mean i you know they're both so different my dad is like super type a organized you know every time that we go to a soccer game we'd always show up 30 minutes early have the printout of exactly where the fields are enough time to warm up you know all that and you're like that with my mom it was, we would leave the house maybe 10 minutes before the game, not have the field directions, not know which field in the town we were going to. We'd have to go there and be like, hey, do you know where our team is playing? Right. And just ask random people on like the street where the fields were. Um, which approach do you prefer? I think that there's some things that I want to have like a little bit more order and you know understanding of where I'm going to be and when. If like I have like a set time or like... When I go to my soccer games now, I sometimes I might be a couple minutes late, but I know where I'm going. Right. And if I, I'm a little bit late, it's because I'm running late. It's not like, you know, yeah. a repeated yeah. thing. Um, but I think 
that's just one thing. I, I don't mean to trash my mom for taking me late to our soccer. No, games. I think there's a lot of <laughs> there beauty. were a lot of soccer games. <laughs> there were a no, lot and of I also think there's a lot of beauty in that kind of attitude. I mean, as long as it doesn't bother you. I like this kind of more laissez-faire. I'm not like that. I'm pretty type A and organized and, and, and punctual and shit like that. But it like maybe too much so sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so I've tried to make a concerted effort. And you've seen me do it like when we'll hang out sometimes. I'm like, dude, we just got to fucking chill. We just got to step back and chill. Don't worry about the details. Just let yeah. it happen. But that's me making a, like an effort to be that way. Yep. To, so I think there is some value in that. Um, and also, uh, tell your 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 mom's from Argentina, right? Yeah, so is my dad. You're both from Argentina. Yeah. Okay, so I was wondering if that was maybe like a, a, a cultural yeah, thing. Yeah, in Argentina, yeah, you show up late. Dude, hanging out with <laughs> Latinos, man, is... I hate to stereotype, but I'm sorry, man. I've had extensive t- experience with Latinos, both in this country and in Latin American countries. And it's a totally different attitude in terms of like punctuality and like organization and shit like that but once again i think there's value in that i've tried to incorporate that into my lifestyle but for people like us that probably more naturally are type a it can be super frustrating first time um i was meeting up with these second cousins in argentina i had met them when i was a kid but you know it'd been a while since we'd seen each other and we were all going to meet up for dinner at nine o'clock and so we get there we ring the doorbell and my cousin or second cousin he couldn't believe it he goes literally when we say 9 o'clock, we mean 10, 10, 15, 10, 30. Yeah. That's what we mean. Um, but all of a sudden, I'm looking at my computer. It says 8.59. I hear the doorbell. I look back. It says 9 o'clock. You Americans show up on time. <laughs> every, you know, he's like, you couldn't believe how, like, precise we were. And, but that was my mom, and she showed up perfectly. Totally. It's like getting an invite to a party, dog. The party starts at 10. You don't want to be the dude that shows up at 10. You want to be the dude that shows up at, like, 11, 11, 30, rolling in, everyone's got a drink in their hand already. See, I don't feel <laughs> compelled to, when the party's at 10, show up at 10. I just show up whenever I feel ready to show no, up. No, I know, dude. I've been to parties with you. We went to that uh, Mardi Gras party the other day. We show up, and party starts at, like, 9. They say we show up at, like, 8.50. We're, like, chilling on the couch, watching Netflix the two we don't live in the house. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was great, though. That nah, was, yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned your... Oh, so let's get into Argentina thing real quick now. We're kind of on that topic. So what, what has been your relationship with Argent, Argentina, Argentine culture, the language of Spanish? Like, how did your parents incorporate that into your life growing up? I think it was just kind of like an immersion thing. So at home, we only ever spoke Spanish. Okay. And we had a lot of Argentine foods pretty much all the time. When I was watching soccer with my dad, we'd watch Boca Juniors. You right. Know, um, even before he he then later in life got more into like Barcelona and like you know other teams. But for us, it was always about you know Argentina, Argentina soccer, playing Argentine card games. We play a game called Truco. Right. Um, you know, when we did barbecue, we didn't do like an American style barbecue. We did we an did a, We did an asado. Yeah. yeah. So it, you know that was always definitely a part of our cultural identity. Um, they were both born in Argentina, right? They were both born in Argentina. And then how often would you go back? Every year. Every year you go back and visit? Yeah, essentially. Tight. When was the last time you went back then? Two years ago. Okay. So you are, like, that's part of who you are. Yeah, so when I was a kid, I was confused because I thought I was Argentine. Right. Well, you are, I guess. I'm American. I'm USA. <laughs> yeah, and you look very American. I mean, all Argentines look super European, yeah. but... um. Yeah, but you spoke Spanish in the house and stuff. That's like yeah, but yeah, it's, I, I could see how that could be confusing. Like, wait a second, wait, what am I? Yeah, yeah, and then and then I realized that I'm not Argentine because I just every time I go to Argentina and I have to like relearn like the bus system to get around. I'm like, oh wait, an Argentine would know how to get around. <laughs> like, we know how to do this. Actually, I was at um, I wrote my college essay about this experience that I had when I was at a Boca Juniors soccer game. It was my first. Boca Juniors game. I'd been to an Argentina game um, years before when they played against Chile. But against, uh, it was Boca San Lorenzo. And I was there uh, with my dad and my cousin. And I've been watching this team my whole life. And I knew all the players and the backstories of the players. And, you know, I, beforehand we had, you know, an asada. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, were eating the food, drinking Argentine beer, watching Argentine soccer. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, this is it. This is like the Argentine this, this soccer experience. Yeah. And then, you know, I had this understanding of that, oh, this was, this is like totally a part of my identity. Right. 
and then all of a sudden the game's going and Boca's losing two to one and they start singing all these songs the whole game, you know, right. the whole time. And I don't know any of these right. songs, but my dad, who hasn't, you know, been to a soccer game in 20 years, he still knows the song. Right. Same with my cousin. And so I just realized, I was like, oh, wow, there's like, even though I like eat the food and I speak the language and I know the players, like there's like this bit of culture that I just have right. never been a part of. I've never right. learned. Right. At the end of the game, I learned one song, so there's hope. But, you know. Do you feel like a longing for that? Do you feel like that's like a void? I don't think it's a void. I just think it's uh, a truth. Right. It's a truth. It's, hey, even though I, you know, I've understood this aspect and this aspect and this aspect and this aspect, that doesn't mean that I, you know, right. am Argentine right. or whatever, you know, that bubble is. It just means that I kind of straddle two different... Right, cultures. I got you. I don't have full of one. I don't have full of the other. Maybe I do have full American No, culture. I think you're pretty full American. Yeah. In what way would you possibly not be full American? Um, Just because you spoke Spanish? Because you were raised by two immigrants? Um. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess. To me, I look at it differently. I'm like, damn, that's awesome. Like, he's full American, plus he's got a little extra. <laughs> he's like 75% Argentinian. Or at least 50. Or like someone like me. I'm just like, yeah. fuck, what am I? I'm just American. I don't even know where my family's from. Europe, probably England, We looked up your last name, though, right? Wasn't it Dutch? Yeah, Dutch or German or something. That makes sense. I always thought it was cooler if I could... Like, someone told me at some point they thought it was Cherokee. So I really was running with that. Yeah, I don't think Youngblood is Cherokee. Yeah, all. I was hoping it was like, you know, some Indian name or whatever. <laughs> Chief Youngblood or something. Uh, <laughs> sounds a lot cooler. <laughs> so just fucking German, dude. You just do a DNA test to be sad. I did. I did my 23andMe like a couple weeks ago, so I'm waiting on it. All right. Let me know how it goes. I will. Um, Are you going to do a podcast for it? Totally. My reveal, <laughs> a podcast reveal? Totally. I should do that. Um, so you have one sibling, right? One sibling. Older sister? Older sister. How was your relationship with her growing up? Um, Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Did y'all didn't like fight ever? Or I mean, that's... obviously, there's times that you're going to fight and there's right. times that you're going to argue because you're siblings. And yeah. that's just totally natural. But for the most part, we've been really good and, you know, understanding of the other person and their experiences right. in their life. And, like, both of us are really open minded. So if she wants to do something or if I want to do something, she's like, well, I wouldn't, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all talk, I feel like, pretty regularly. I feel like you're on the phone with your sister, like, fairly regularly. I think we talk at least once a week. Oh, damn, yeah. That's a lot more I talk to my sisters, and I consider yeah. myself really close to my sisters. Uh, I guess I do need to do a better job. How are your parents? How close are you with your parents, like, today? Yeah, um, I think I talk with my mom probably every three or four days, uh-huh. and with my dad, maybe around the same. Damn, see, I need, to, I need to get my shit together, man. Maybe that's part of how I've lost my way in the last few years, is, like... I've turned into this fucking independent, roaming, I keep using this term, like, leaf in the wind. I consider myself super close to all my family, but honestly, and I consider myself super close to all of, like, my good friends, but, like, I don't do a good job of maintaining contact. I'll go, I'll talk to my sisters, like, every two months. Hey, I mean, if that, maybe... But, but it's not like we have, like, a distant relationship. Like, we're very close and, like, have very intimate conversations, but I guess that's just kind of how I handle my shit. Um, I've always been horrible. I'm horrible at texting. You know that. I'm horrible at being like a romantic partner because I don't fucking call you and I'm cool if I don't see you for a week. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how I am. Um, so, was there any influence from your parents, like in terms of like establishing principles and morals that would guide you to wanting to pursue like an altruistic career? And then specifically into education. Because you're very... Let me go on a little monologue here about you. You're a very moral and principled person. Like, I love having you as a friend. And I just like that probably the highest compliment I could give. Is like, because I see you as an exemplar of like what a good person is. And so if I can be around you more, I'm like, okay... I can, you know, I can be a better person. And I feel that way. As our relationship has developed over the past year, we've known each other like almost a year now. Like, I feel like I've learned so much from you in terms of like what it means to just be a good dude. Um, Thanks, man. How did, you, nice. <laughs> how did you, like, were your, I, okay, that being said, and I want to got, I did this yesterday with my podcast with Jordan, I went over this, but like my mom, for instance, like was very explicit 
in like, not strict, but in a very like spiritual, holistic, like angelic way, taught me and my sisters to like be good people, sacrifice for others. We were always taught that like we, we could do anything we want in life, but like the most noble way to go would be to just earn enough money that you can sustain yourself and then whatever you're doing professionally should be helping other people. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly the, you know, the path that's what guided me into my through my college years and first few years out of college. But I've totally deviated from that in recent years. And so I'm wondering on your end, like how did you reach this point? Like well, how did you develop your morality? How did you develop your principles? Was there a huge influence from your parents? Was it something you did on your own? Was it through experience? Like how do you think about that? I think that there's like a little bit of both you know, parents teaching you about, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And obviously we make a lot of mistakes growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, oh, actually I don't want to say the word mistakes. I just want to have, we have a lot of learning experiences that we can like reflect on afterwards and be like, Ooh, this is, okay. Let me just interject again. real quick. This type of shit I'm talking about right here. You see how he just immediately said, I don't want to do mistakes. Like this kind of dude Sebastian is, and that's what I want to be more like, man. Cause I, I, I think the same philosophy, but I get bogged down and thinking like, man, I fucked up. But yeah. that's you're so keep anyway, keep going. So I think that like a lot of the times whenever you eat something or you drink something or you do something, um, you're you're gonna feel it afterwards. You know, like, okay, I drank ten beers last night, I have diarrhea and I feel really sick this morning. Mm-hmm. Okay, well it's probably a bad idea for me to drink that much. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I did something that like I don't feel you know, I I think about things too much like you know kind of like ocd a little bit mm-hmm. too or i'm just like oh man did i do the right thing well it doesn't really feel like what i did was the right thing okay mm-hmm. and then i like sit on that maybe thought maybe like however long it needs to be thought about and i was like would i do it again um but i think that there's like a general principle of like do good mm-hmm. try not to like make people upset make them happy if they need space like don't overwhelm them like you know those are things that you learn along the way when you're like a little kid and you're just like super excited and you want to make people happy or you want to tell jokes or whatever and it's like, hey, this isn't the right time. They're like, okay, so there's a right time and there's a wrong time. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just kind of, I guess, I mean, I think that my mom and my dad taught me a lot about, you know, being good. They both came from Buenos Aires and, you know, it was never like a debate of like whether people should have like health care. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, or like, should there be like help for like the poor and the homeless? Like it was like, obviously to us, it was like, Oh, yes, clearly there need to be, like, programs to help people who are having, like, mental health issues, drug addictions, you know, like, they get injured and they just can't work. Like, these types of programs need to exist. Programs for the elderly, you know, programs for the handicapped, whatever it is. Um, And then so, like, that's separate, I think, in terms of, like, all right, and just with, like, regular people, like, how do you want yourself to be, like, your effect on others to be, too? Mm -hmm. Like, in your day-to-day interaction, like what do I want this person to feel? I want them to feel happy. I want them to feel good. I want them to feel And you're conscious of that as you go throughout the day. I try to be as conscious about it as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And then if like, sometimes I can just, you know, being a teacher, you can just all of a sudden like a class like knocks you out of your mood and you just have to be like, all right, next period. Like, man, forget all of that. Like, feeling of like you know this person yelling not doing their work or like being mean to you leave it behind and being like okay why am i feeling this way about what that person did and how can i make sure that i'm not like transferring that emotion onto like any other people Mm -hmm. but it's hard have you always been that way did you like did this did this come about at a certain time was was like major development in terms of your moral character in college or anything like that I think that when I was a kid, I was like a sore winner. Right. And I was just kind of like a bit of a brat, and I didn't really like being those things. And so. When did you recognize that? I think I started recognizing it really early on that I was kind of. You know, I remember my sister yelling at me, being like, You're a sore winner. And that, like, stood out to me. And right. And just, like, all these other times where I was like, Why am I, like, talking like this? Or why am I behaving this way? Like, it doesn't, like. That's not what I necessarily want to put out. Yeah. So I, was, I, I guess even that, like, the age of, like, 14, 15, I remember I had to make New Year's resolutions. Um, and, I, like, one of the things that I, I still had the piece of paper up until, like, a week and a half ago before I, like, started packing everything up. It was, like, um, be more chill, relaxed, like, reserved. 
like be more of like a person who's like listening and paying attention instead of like the person who's always trying to like put out I guess it's like throat chakra stuff right so that was like something is that I'd 14 do. you put this list together yeah damn 14 15 yeah I was like alright this is something I need to like pay more attention to right um what else is on there I also wanted to read the news every day um yeah that's the one that always stood out to me like the one that was like hey this is right a way that you gotta live your life uh huh and then in terms of how that morphed itself into education um what inspired you to become an educator I know you talked about you know once you got to college you or when you got to college you wanted to do something that was helping other people be a medicine or education or something like that yeah like, where was that shift from medicine into education and, like, working with children specifically? How did that inspiration come about? Um, I think that, for the most part, I'm successful, like, holding relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Um, at, you know, at DCI, I was, like, the soccer coach, but I'm also, like, the Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. club leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a huge nerd growing up and playing Magic the Gathering and Pokemon cards and... Uh, video games and then also being like the person who was like the athlete um the runner or the lifter or whatever it was like i just always felt that no matter what social group i was kind of like thrown into i could always like you know communicate and get along with whoever it was and i thought that that was something that i could bring into a classroom where to me it's like the weirdos are my favorite kids you know mm-hmm. the jocks are my favorite kids like the uh, every little click is like a group that like i can you know, work with, and so I wanted to work with kids in particular because, at least in DC, DC when I came here was fifty four percent graduation rate it was the lowest in the country. And I was like, well, I want to go and try to make that a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to do that by teaching through history, especially because DC has no you know state re- voting state representatives, no senators, doesn't even have statehood, which is something that it absolutely needs, um, and I wanted to show them like what they should be like and you know what they have the rights to do um and and how they should react if they see like some type of injustice Mm -hmm. because those are like the people who are like most commonly affected by Mm -hmm. you know police brutality you know racial profiling so i wanted to to help them with that and so you taught history for the first two how many years i taught history for three years but from the day that I arrived, actually, I got to work um, the first day, and they said, so, Sebastian, did you know that you're going to be teaching history in Spanish? And I said, no, I didn't know that. You know, I wish you had told me <laughs> at the beginning of the summer so I could have planned ahead for this. Do you have, like, a textbook or, like, some stuff, like, supplies that I could use? And they're like, no. And this is a D.C. public school, right? This is right? a D.C. public school. And I was like, well, okay. So I just started teaching history in Spanish. Um, and I did that for two years in D.C. public schools, and I went to D.C. international school, um, and then I was teaching history and Spanish there my first year, and then I kind of transitioned into health and PE. Um, but those first three years, yeah, it was a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, I bet, dude. And so you taught health and PE for two years. Two years. Yeah. And so we worked together this past year together teaching health and PE. Uh, so one year, one year on the job together. What was the transition? Why the transition from history to health and PE? The transition presented itself before me and I thought about it a lot and I thought about the benefits um, and costs to each of them and for one for one thing I believe that like a person's you know rights has got to be one of the most important things that they need to learn about but you know what good are the rights if you're dying at the age of 23 or getting you know contracting sexually transmitted diseases or type 2 diabetes and you don't know how to take care of your body and you're just going to die at a young age so i immediately thought like well it's really important for me to teach kids about health and how to live long happy healthy lives Mm -hmm. um and so that immediately was like well yeah definitely something that i would be happy to to show kids like a, a way for them to accomplish that. Um, and then there's just so many other cool things that came along with it. Um, you got to be outside more often. The time that you got to spend with kids could be more about like a mentorship and a relationship thing as well as the content in history. You can do that, but since you're pushing them so hard in these like primary source documents and reading and writing and critical thinking that like they just don't want to like hang out with you all the time mm-hmm. afterwards and get like some of the side knowledge that you can give them on like how to deal with issues and how to deal with, you know, life. Um, so that was cool. Not to mention that 
you know, I said the outdoor time, wearing sneakers was like something yeah. that I was super was excited about. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe that I got to wear sneakers and work out clothes to work every day. That was that was really hilarious. After <laughs> having worn like a dress shirt and tie and dress shoes every day and being like it was you know ninety five degrees outside. Yeah, and I had to wear pants and I'm seeing all these like teachers wearing like skirts or dresses. And I'm like, oh my god, why can't there be a, why can't there be a male equivalent to Dude, that? That's a whole other that's a whole other podcast, man. But man, dress and fashion just doesn't make any sense to me, man. Why yeah. are we like literally yeah, yeah, putting so, a noose around our neck? Yeah, yeah. I did, I wasn't a huge fan of wearing ties. Yeah. So that that I appreciate it, but definitely not my number one motivator. It's just switching. No, that I was think like that a was side side gift. That was the same motivation for why I transitioned to PE. I never taught PE before this past year. Um, you know, I it kind of dawned on me. I was kind of stepping away from education already, and I was like, I'm going to give this one more one last shot to see if like I can stay in the game. And I was like, but I don't, you know, I want to teach what I think is the, are the most valuable skills there are, and that's taking care of your physical body. Like I think that should be everyone's number one number one priority in life. Yep. Uh, but for me, man, and I I knew this before I even took the job um, at, at DC International, the PE job with you. I just I, my patience was already on empty with kids. Yeah. And so, like, as at some point in my beginning of my education career, it was like. I wanted to get into education because I thought that was the most effective way, an immediate way to have a positive impact on society, on the planet. But I never really enjoyed being around kids. Yeah. And so it was just as the years kind of went on in education, the like fulfillment I was getting Decrease, for the positive yeah. impact was starting to be outweighed by the annoyance I was experiencing from like being surrounded by fucking little half humans all day long. Yeah. In your case, however, and with this is what the one, not the one thing, one of the several things, many things. DCI I think is a great school that I, I thought was great about the school that we worked at this past year was like, it seems like people, the teachers love being around kids. And I totally see that in you. Like you enjoy spending time with children. Is that? Yeah, I think that, statement? I mean, I think that there are like some kids who I enjoy way more than others. I totally. Think. I think that there's like some kids that I can think about right now that make me want to like yank the hair out of my head and be like, Oh man, they make my life so stressful. Mm. And then there's some kids that I'm like, Oh my God, I would just go and sit down with this person and have a coffee or a tea and just like talk to them about the vast intricacies of life and just have like a super enjoyable conversation. Um, but you know, I think that there's like both ends of a spectrum and as a teacher, you don't get to like, pick your students you know right. your students are your students and you do the best that you can with them and sometimes you get to spend more time with like the kids that like sometimes inspire me you know i'm yeah. like wow like damn this kid has their stuff so together like i want to yeah be, be like, more that. like, totally I I like that. this person i was like you're a role model to me <laughs> <laughs> for real for real, there are those kids out there, especially at the school we taught. Well, the school we taught the past year is the first time I kind of experienced that, but they're out there, and it's cool to see. Yeah. Um, did you have experience with kids prior? Um, prior to teaching. Yeah. No. So well, was it I, daunting at all, thinking that, When like, I was in grad school, I taught, you know, I did my student right, teaching, right, 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 right. but prior to becoming a teacher, no, I hadn't decided. Seems like a big decision to make, like, without, like, extensive experience, even little I, brothers and sisters and shit. How did that... How did that yeah, I mean, I knew that I couldn't teach elementary schoolers because I knew that I wasn't going to be there for that, or you know. But I knew that uh, middle school or high school. Actually, I originally went to do it being like I can never do anything less than high school, and so they were good. And then one of the issues that I encountered was that um, the students that I had at high school they were just so far behind where they mm -hmm. needed to be. I was like, man, I need to start getting to them earlier. Right. And that's why I moved into middle school. I was like, you know, hoping, hoping that I can like, you know, I, I noticed that a lot of kids started taking the path already in middle school towards one or the other. And it's like, okay, well, me in high school, I'm getting like less of a chance because so many of these students yeah. are, have already like committed to this idea yeah, dude, that was my same experience, especially in rough areas, man. By the time like, some of these kids get to high school, even to middle school, it's like, fuck. Yeah. You are not only just academics, but socially, like, damn, you're in a kind of deep hole here. Yeah. Um, tough to dig you out. Um, so what did you 
envision your future in education to be? Obviously, you're moving to Shanghai. You're going to teach PE at a school there in Shanghai. Yeah. So you'll be in the game for at least two more years. Mm-hmm. Like, what? How do you view your career in education going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty. I don't feel bad about where I'm at right now. I think um, going and, and teaching abroad is going to be like a really cool, fun, enlightening experience. And maybe it'll be something that I continue going and teaching abroad. Um, maybe it'll be moving into like school programming. Maybe it'll be coming back to the United States at some point and living closer to my family, um, working at schools there, or coming back and deciding that I don't know. I want to start a carpentry business. I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. Right. But like Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. You know, he and I are both Jewish, so yeah. it's good. Um, I. I'm not too concerned about figuring out where I'm going to be in two years from now. Okay. I'm just going to go to China and try to have like the best experience that I can have when I'm there. And then maybe within a year I'll think, okay, well, do I want to be here a year after this? Right. Or do I want to, you know, go somewhere else or do I, do I miss the States? What, what, where, what am I feeling right now? Um, and so right now I just feel like excitement about going to, to China. So mm-hmm. I thinking past that is really hard. I, I got you. But you definitely think it's possible that like you could stay in education post-China? Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. Dude, you constantly maintain a positive attitude. That's something I admire about you tremendously. Is that you, you're, you're constantly optimistic. And like if I were in your situation right now, having spent five years in D.C., I th- and then I was going to move halfway across the world, definitely I'd be excited about it. But I think, honestly, like, my nostalgia and I, and a little bit of sadness would outweigh everything. Like, you are just, when I've talked to you over the past months and weeks as this, you know, day is kind of coming up, you're literally moving tomorrow. I'm leaving here in, like, an hour. Um, you're totally optimistic and, like, maintain the super shiny outlook. Do you, what is that? Like, do you feel any nostalgia? Do you feel any sadness? Or is, like, is this how you always are? Um, I've never been one who's, like, a misser. Like, I'd go to summer camp, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I miss my mom, or I miss my dad, or I miss my friends, or I miss this, or I miss that. I just kind of, like, get immersed in whatever it is that, that my next project is. And, like, yes, I have, like, feelings of, like, oh, man, it would be great if, like, I got to see my mom or my dad. But it wasn't, like, something that was, like, tearing me down. I always felt like I could just, like, go and do as long as there's, like, I have a plan for um, ways of keeping myself, you know, occupied and entertained and explore, you know, whether it's like exploring or hiking or reading or practicing yoga, as long as I have like things that are making me happy, mm-hmm. then I won't have, then I won't be sad gotcha. about other things. Right. Dude, I need to adopt that mindset. And I think that's like one of the most, maybe the most valuable lesson anyone's ever put on the podcast thus far, man. Like listeners out there, listen to that shit, man. He's not a mister, and that doesn't mean he doesn't love the people that he's not around, but he's he's in, he's in like grossing himself in the now and the present and what's happening and trying to make the most of the experience that's occurring at this moment rather than reflecting on who's not there or what's not there or what location you're not in. I have I do the opposite so often, man. Like as right now, as I'm leaving DC, and I told you this, like I didn't sleep well last night either. I didn't sleep well the night before. Um, you were sleeping on the floor. So. I was sleeping on the floor, but I slept in plenty. I can sleep anywhere, man. It's not what it was. It's an emotional thing. Yeah. Over the last few days, being back in D.C., I've got all this. Like, I want to say the biggest thing is, like, regret. Like, man, I could have done this better, especially in the relationship I got out of. Um, I think it's best that we're not together, but it's like, man, I could have been so much of a better boyfriend to this girl. She deserved better. Like, it probably would have ended in the same way because I'm just not ready to settle down. But, like, I could have, I could have, like, focused more on that. Same thing with teaching. It was like, as soon as I, pretty much as soon as the school year started, I knew I'm not going to stay in this job. But, like, I still could have, like, dedicated myself better to it. And so as I'm leaving now, I, I need a healthier mindset would be to adopt the mindset that you're in. It's like, okay, so what's next? I'm going on this, like, traveling journey. I'm doing this podcast exercise. Yeah. Like, engross myself in that and, like find satisfaction and happiness in that rather than like 
these past few days, man, I'm just constantly thinking like, fuck, what did I do and wrong? I, I should have this I better. You should, you should recognize and like recognize the emotions that you feel and think about, you know, when was the first time that you felt that way and how you would talk to yourself like when you were, if you felt that way when you were like a kid? Like, what would you describe like the emotion that you're feeling now? Uh, regret. Okay, regret so... Regret and nostalgia. So when was like the first time that you imagined that you were feeling regret? In my life? Yeah. <sighs> Probably like graduating high school. Okay. So if you were to see like your high school self now feeling that regret, feeling that nostalgia of, like, things lost. Like, what would you say to that kid? I'd be like, dude, you got a fucking whole life ahead of you. You're a young man. Like, fuck it. Move on. What would you... Would you give him a hug? Would you, like... Would you... What yeah, type, I'd probably give him a hug. To, would it be... Because there, you, when you said it, you were, like... You, you sounded, like, very, like, sure in those words. But, like, how do you think that he'd need to be talked to? I think that's how he would need to be talked to. And I think that's how I need to be talked to. And I think in a lot of ways that comes from not growing up with a dad. Like I've got, I've gotten plenty of hugs and like so, warmth in my so life. So then say that to that kid. Every time that you're feeling that, be like, hey, you got your whole life ahead of you. Like mm-hmm. you just, that's what you need to say to yourself. Like the first time that you really feel that thing, like, hey, even though you're this 18 year old kid who doesn't know what to do and has regrets or has nostalgia or whatever, like you got so much to live for and then you just need to remind yourself of that every single time that you you feel that emotion be like hey let me connect to like where it was that i felt this emotion really strongly when i was a kid and how i would i like move forward from that damn sebastian crydell dropping knowledge on the pod dude seriously you might be at the top of the list of podcast guests so far dude this is exactly the kind of shit i want from the podcast and like you're you're falling into it perfectly man um yeah, dude, and I think you do a fantastic job of doing that, and uh, I don't know, it's super fucking inspiring. And like you just did, man, you can hop right in to explain it to other people. You're a powerful, you're a powerful being. Um, so let's close out here talking about uh, personal life. So <laughs> what we talk like professionally, what you envision for yourself in the future. I grew up in the South. Everyone that like essentially everyone that I grew up with is married. And or like having children, own a home, started a very traditional adult life pretty immediately after college. Um, I don't know. You haven't. Obviously, you're a young single dude. You're about to move halfway across the world. Mm -hmm. Like you don't seem like you have any interest in settling down in the immediate future. That's more how I live my life. How do you envision like your future and what you want to accomplish? Do you want us personally what do you want to settle down at some point? Do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? If so, like, how do you think about that? I think that I'm open to the idea of having kids. Okay. Um, but before I even get into having kids, I would have to be, I, I don't want to have kids by myself or raise a kid by myself. So it'd be finding like a partner, um, who I felt like comfortable doing that with, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I've had a lot of relationships and all of them have failed. So you've had a lot of like monogamous committed relationships. I've had a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, it's, I think it's difficult to find like what it is that, you know, makes you the best you. Uh And, and I, you know, I guess that's a tough thing to find. Um, I guess I've dated like a lot of teachers Maybe I should date less teachers. <laughs> yeah, I remember you said recently you were hanging out with like a new girl who wasn't like a committed thing, but a, a girl you had met, you were hanging out a little bit, and you were like, man, this is one of the first girls I've ever dated who's not like just like this type A personality. Yeah. And that's like, do, do you envision like that's the type of woman you want to be with in the future? I think the type of person who I want to be with in the future is somebody who is excited to go out and do things and explore um, go to concerts, go and travel, um, who's intellectually stimulating, um, somebody who wants to banter and joke around and you yeah. know, have fun if there's a song on and just want, they want to start singing random words to yeah. a new song. I want somebody yeah. who's going to play around and, um, and that would be something that I would, I think really liking somebody there's there's like four or five things how do you look at marriage like do you ever would would you ever get like married in a traditional sense i you know i'm not gonna say no because i i don't 
I don't want to say like I've already made the decision. I think that it's something that if you like meet the right person and you know you find satisfaction in the ways that you seek to find satisfaction from like a, a significant other, and you that's that's something that tells you like, hey, this might be a person who it would be cool to have a you know long monogamous relationship with. But it's not like a goal of yours it's not that you a have goal. in mind. It's not a goal. Actually, my dad sat me down the other day. We were at dinner in Boston, and he's like, hey. Um, you know, you're getting, you're 28, you're almost 29, you're going to have to start thinking about settling down. And I was like, Dad, I don't think I have to settle down for another <laughs> six or seven years. <laughs> yeah. And, that's, and, and, you know, like, I don't want to, if I, if I end up having kids, I don't want to have them when I'm, you know, 40 years old or anything like that. I'd rather have kids, you know, maybe mid-30s, right. like 36 or something would be like an ideal time, which gives me like enough time now to like, if I wanted to get on that track eventually at some point, figure it out. But if not, then I'm like just going to ride the wave that I, right. you know. Yeah. I think I could do 40, man. As long as my semen is still viable, I think I could yeah, do 40 on that. viable for a very long time. Um, but it's just like a question of like, okay, well you have a kid when you're 40. Now all of a sudden you're like 58. You got like six years to retire. And yeah, I'm not concerned <laughs> about that. I'm more concerned about like, dude, while I can have like the energy and physical capacity, to just like be out there doing crazy shit. I want to do it without anything holding me back. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like maybe around 50, I'm going to start like my energy level might reduce and I'm going to have more desire to just like be in one place and chill and settle down. And this like fervent desire to travel may yeah. dissipate. Um, and that's going to be more conducive to me being a better dad. I feel, um, but so the kid thinks too. It's it kind of sounds like the marriage thing too. You're open to the idea. I'm open to the idea of it. Yeah. But you're kind of just waiting to see how life unfolds. Mm-hmm. I like that, man. I like that because the people I grew up with, it seems like, man. And I've got I mentioned this on almost every podcast now, but it seems like, fuck. Everyone had like this pre-prescribed idea of like what life was gonna be like. And I keep saying this, but it's like I didn't get the memo, man. It's like I didn't realize that. We, when we got to college, like that was supposed to be like us solidifying ourselves because immediately after college, like we're settling down and living an adult life. We're buying a house, we're getting married, and we're starting a family. It seems like everyone that I grew up with, like it doesn't seem like it like occurred super organically. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what life brought to me. Not nah, there's no way that could be because every single one of you is doing the exact same thing. So that doesn't seem organic. That seems like you're following a, a pre-prescribed a prescription for life. Yeah, and it could be that, and, it, and maybe it is organic for them. And you know, you'll never be able to see it truly from their perspective. But you can like talk to them, and if well, they, what, yeah. what they say, you get take their word for it. Totally, that's <laughs> what I'm doing with this thing. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing with this podcast. But you, you're providing a totally different voice, which I totally respect. Um, I man. Anything else you need to get off your chest before you move to the other side of the planet? Um, nah. All right. Dude, this is fucking great. I love you, brother, man. It has been an absolute blessing to have you in my life this past year. You've been uh, just, I don't know, a shining star every step of the way. Seriously, man. I'm getting like choked up thinking about it now. Um, so thank you for being you, man, and keep it up, dude. For real, I'm seriously going to start crying. Now, I love you, man. I love you, too. Hugs. <laughs> Ah, hey man, I'm just a text message or a phone call away. That's right, right baby. <laughs> You'll be around. Thank you, brother. Yep. <laughs>